Hello, hello, hello. God is good? All the time. All the time. God is good. All right. Thank you for participating. I'm going to change it up someday. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to do something else. But uh, I've liked that for the last 10 years we've been doing it, or however. Uh, got an announcement about next week. This will be of particular interest to those of you who have children in the 9 to, say, 13, 14 age group. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about an adult topic. And I'm going to be using some terminology that will, could possibly raise questions that uh, your child may not be ready to really explore or discuss. And you may not be ready to discuss them with them. It will have to do with marriage and the recent Supreme Court decision. Uh, that affects uh, the definition of marriage here in our country. So I, I'm just telling you, no graphic details or anything like that. It's just some terms are going to come up that may raise uh, some questions. And I just want to give uh, those parents uh, a heads up, an option. You can either prep your kids or you can participate in a class. We are going to have a, a class for the kids age 9 and on up. Uh, it's up to you to decide if they need to go there or not. Tim Gamp's going to be handling that class uh, while we go on here in the auditorium. Of course, we've got, we got children's Bible time for everyone up to age 8. But from age 9 on, for the one Sunday, we're going to do a class uh, that is an alternative. And you make the decision. You decide what you want to do. Um, like I say, no graphic details. It's just terms. But the terms may raise some questions that uh, you want to know about. And I'm... We're telling you now so that um, when the time comes, you can make a, a good decision. We want to support our, our families here, our, our young families. And I don't want to do anything to make your job more difficult. And I know there's a large, a lot in the media and a lot in the world that uh, you are working pretty hard to insulate your kids from. They're just not ready for it. And they don't need to know uh, some of the garbage that goes on in our world. And I don't blame you. And so uh, I don't want to be the one to undermine that. And so here we are. All right, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for several weeks, and we're continuing on. There's probably about two or three more lessons here, that, and then we're going to be done with this subject uh, for a while. But uh, we're back on the Holy Spirit. And today I want to concentrate on, on one passage today. It, we read the larger passage here just a little while ago. But it's the passage uh, we find in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit are these, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, or self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, our kids have learned uh, the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, from another version of the Bible. So whenever, I, that's King James, and I'm sorry, I'm stuck, I can't get past it. It's... <laughs> It's, it's those words. Those words get turned around a little bit in uh, the, the newer, modern, uh, more modern translations. And it's not that either translation is right or wrong. It's just they uh, go a different way uh, with those words. The words are in the Greek are the same, but how they're translated differs a little. But it covers the same territory. But anyway, I'm just apologizing to the kids, all right? You've learned your fruit one way, and I know my fruit the other way. And we'll just try to get along and be friends anyway. So the fruit of the Spirit are these. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control or temperance. Against such there is no law. I want to concentrate on the fruit of the Spirit today. 
because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And in a manner of speaking, we could say that these fruits are part of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian. We call these the fruit of the Spirit because we generally think of the fruit of the Spirit as uh, the responsibility of the Spirit. It's his job. He's the one that's producing them. It, 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 it's his work in the believer. When we see these things, we, we know that he is present, that he is there, especially when we see those in abundance. And it's just something that the Holy Spirit does in the believer. That's what these verses are telling us, that God is wanting to do a work inside of us. He wants to develop these fruits in us. Over time, we expect to see more and more of these fruits. And usually that's what happens. I, you know, probably in 80, 90% of the cases of, of Christians, we see these as time goes on, we see uh, these fruits being developed. The fruit gets more ripe. It's, it gets larger. You know, that's what happens on a, on a fruit tree for the most part. But occasionally we will see someone who's been a Christian for a long, long time. And I'll put Christian like that. Because basically there's been no change in them since baptism. Ten years have passed, 15 years have passed, 20 years have passed, 25 years have passed. And they're pretty much the same person they were uh, 15, 20, 25 years ago. We haven't seen any great change in their life. We haven't seen any of these fruits actually being developed. Now, I, I want to talk about this today. But I think it's important to say something else right here, just kind of a, a sideline. I think it's important to say that some measure of each of these fruits will be found in almost any human being on earth, whether you are a Christian or not. You don't have to be a Christian to know and be able to give love or to have joy or to have peace or to be patient or any of those things up there. I mean, uh, those things, to some degree, are with every human being. But what we're talking about when we speak of the fruit of the Spirit is the difference between what we would be without the Spirit as opposed to what we are with the Spirit. There's something that happens in the life of a believer where, you know, there's one path in life we could walk. We could, we could walk the path of just being ourselves, and there would be some love, some joy, some peace, some long-suffering in us, some goodness, some faith. Some of those things would be there. But there's another path that we can walk. It's the path laid out for us by the Spirit. And... We take it by faith. Now, you don't get to rewind your life and go back and do it one way and then the other and measure the difference. But we take it by faith based on what the Bible says that when we become Christians and we have the Spirit within us, that we are going to have more love, more joy, more peace, more patience or long-suffering, more gentleness, more of all of these fruits than what we would have if we had never become a Christian. And that difference is what I will call the work of the Holy Spirit. Those things, there are all kinds of versions of every one of us. There's the version uh, of us, all kinds of versions of us as not Christians, and there's all kinds of paths that we can walk. But I'll tell you this, the best version of any person in here, the very best version of any person in here is the one where the Holy Spirit is dwelling in that person and causing them, allowing them, helping them to develop love, joy, peace, long-suffering, the Spirit of Christ. So, I've just said that. Now, I want to go back to this uh, lack of fruit in this Christian, this person who's been a Christian for a long time. There is an implied promise in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. 
It doesn't come right out and say, hey, if you are a Christian, you're going to have these things, and I'm going to give them to you. But there is an implied promise from God here because he says these are the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, this is something that God is doing for us and something that God is going to give to us, and he's kind of promising that it's going to happen. So there's an implied promise in this list of fruit because isn't God saying to the Christian, I will make these fruits develop in you. And when someone has been a Christian for a long, long time, and we don't see those fruits developing, we don't see those fruits growing, we ask this question, has the Holy Spirit failed to do his work? Or has God reneged on, a, on this implied promise that's in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23? So with that as a background, I just want to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in producing these fruits that we're looking at here in Galatians 5. Some have distorted the idea of the Spirit producing fruit in this way. There is this implied promise. And some people have taken that to mean, okay, if God's going to do it, then he's going to do it. And I'm not going to worry about it. He can do anything he wants to with me. I'll just sit back and wait. And when it happens, it happens. But I'm not going to worry about it. And, and there is this kind of, uh, I, I guess you call it laissez-faire type of approach to, to these fruits. But there is something for us to do in the matter of these fruits. It's not just all God, it's not all the Spirit, and it's not all us. But there is something for us to do in regard to these fruits. This is a, a cooperative effort, and I believe I can prove it. And I'm going to prove it from the Scripture. I want to turn first of all, or the next slide goes up here. This is just a list of the fruits from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. There they are, nine of them. Um, I think there's much more that the Spirit's doing in us than just those nine fruits. But those, that's the list we find in Galatians 5, 22, and 23. Something the Holy Spirit's doing within us. Would it surprise you to know that in other places in the New Testament, every one of those fruits is listed but it's not listed as a fruit. It's given as a command to the believer to develop or have or practice. Would that surprise you? I want you to look for a moment at just Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. This is an example of one of those places. Here's a passage where six of those nine fruits show up, but they're given as a command to the believer. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies. This is something for us to do. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. You see, you remember there, there's a part of those fruits that sounds very much like that, doesn't it? Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. We could add gratitude to the fruit of the Spirit. Over back over, that would make it 10, wouldn't it? But you see, it's not, a, it's not a comprehensive list because I really think that last one he mentions there is very much a fruit of the Spirit. But anyway, as far as the list in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, and this listing right here, let's go to the next slide. Let's just compare them right there. Well, I remember reading there in Galatians 3, I saw love, I saw, I saw peace, let the peace of Christ rule in you. I saw long-suffering or patience, same difference. I saw gentleness, 
goodness. I saw meekness. I saw all of those things or, or words very close or synonymous, almost synonymous with those words right there in Colossians 3. And whereas it's a gift in, or a, a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it's a command in Colossians 3. Now, there's another place that we could look here that uh, just same thing again, except this one's from Peter. It's 2 Peter chapter 1. Here, here's Peter talking to Christians. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add your faith, virtue. Now, virtue, the word here is moral excellence. It pretty much corresponds to goodness back in the list of the fruit. Add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, that's temperance, same word in Greek, self-control, perseverance, uh, long-suffering, perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, that's the gentlest part, and to brotherly kindness, love. And again, six of the nine fruits show up it, they're fruit in Galatians chapter 5, but they're commands in Second Peter chapter 1. Now, I, I, as you look at this list, there's only one. This, yeah, there we go. There's only one of those fruits that's not mentioned specifically in these two lists, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't show up as a command somewhere else. Look at, um, it's, it's the one we call joy. Yeah, that's the one I can't check off there in those two listings right there. But it's an easy one to do because you know these verses. It's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, the matter of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Well, then have joy. Be joyful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice evermore. There it is, joy. So all nine of those fruits show up as commands elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, uh, all those fruits show up as commands in other places in the New Testament. I think that is... Uh, I think that's significant. And, and what it means is, is that somehow me and the Holy Spirit, you and the Holy Spirit, are working on the same thing at the same time. On, on his end, it, it's presented as a fruit. On our end, it's presented as a command, something we're to aim for, something we're to work at. And so what we have is a, a cooperative effort. It's not all God, it's not all the Spirit, and it's not all me. But we're working together. Now, last week, I, I just want to tie this in with something that we talked about last week. Last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And I, and I want to kind of talk about this verse for a while and go back to talk about the three verses, the three passages we've been looking at. Last week, we looked at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Here's what it says. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work, or, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a command here. There's stuff that we're supposed to do. Paul talks about that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Why should we work? Because God is at work in you. That's why you need to work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Did you hear what he said? We are to work because God is at work. Uh, it, it's not all God, and it's not all us. We work, God works, we're working together. It's an, it's an amazing thing. It, it, it's a wonderful thing. And Paul says both the Christian and, the God are, and God are working side by side. God won't do it without us, and we can't do it without him. And so here we are, we're, we're in this cooperative project. Now, I want you to apply that idea to the fruit of the Spirit, what we've been talking about from Colossians 3, 2 Peter 1, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. 
So here, let's, let's put Colossians 3 back up there again. Let me give you the short version of that word, of that passage right there. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That would be the short version of what is said there in Colossians chapter 3. Now let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me give you the short version of 2 Peter chapter 1. The short version is this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And now let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Why? Because God is at work in you. Both to will and to do is good pleasure. That's how the, these things fit together. They go together. And we are involved in a cooperative project with God. The fruit, and then we, we aim for those fruits. We, do, we desire those fruits. So now, let, let's go on just a little further here. Let's put the list back up. Two sides. There are two sides to each of these fruits. That I think is important. And we're going we're gonna to kind of draw a line because we got two, we got two involved in this project. There's, there's the Holy Spirit on one side and there's us on the other side. And there's a line that you can draw on these fruits where you pretty much can tell who's doing what in regard to these fruits. First of all, there's the outward aspect of every one of these. There are the words and the actions there's love, and then there's the words and the actions that go with love, or that would be produced by love. That's the outward aspect. There's joy, and then there's the words and the actions that go along with joy, and then there's peace, and then there's words and actions that go along with peace, and there's long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. There's all these things that, 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 that we can read, and there's an outward aspect of this because when people have love or joy or peace or long-suffering or temperance or meekness or whatever, you can tell because you'll hear their words, their words will reflect that, and their actions will reflect that. There's an outward aspect. To, uh, to each of these fruits that, that we look at. But there's also an inward aspect to each one of these. And I'll call that the feeling part of it. Uh, love is a feeling. And joy is a feeling. And peace is a feeling. And patience is a feeling. And gentleness is a feeling. Goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, those all get into the, uh, the, the inside of us, and they have to do with our feelings about things, about people, about God. It's something that's going on on the inside. Now, l- let me say this. It is possible to show the words and the actions of each one of these, but not really feel much on the inside. In some cases, people would call that hypocrisy. Oh, well... And, and, you know, if you have no intention of ever developing any of these fruits on the inside, I would say, yeah, that's hypocrisy. You want everyone to think you're going to speak the words and do the actions of love, but you're not, you're not going to really have any inside. That would be hypocrisy. You want to live your whole life like that? That's hypocrisy. You're just pretending. But what if you're one of these people who you're just getting started on this project? It, it, it's a cooperative work. You're just getting started. And, and, and you read this list and you say, you know, God says I ought to have love. And I, I need to be concerned about love. And I need to have joy and I need to have peace. Well, uh, if that's what you really want, but you don't feel it, I, feel, I think it's all right to go ahead and do the words of love and the actions of love. I think it's okay to go ahead and do the words of joy and speak to it and do the actions of joy, but maybe not feeling it just yet. 
Because there is a relationship between the things that we say and do. It, it, it begins to affect our inside sometimes. You know, it kind of works that way, doesn't it? Sometimes you can kind of lift yourself up by laughing, smiling, telling yourself some jokes. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can help yourself out there. But, but, but let me just keep, keep working on this. But if a person has love, joy, or peace, or patience, or gentleness, or all these things, if they're really in there, and we really want those things, we can't wait. We can't wait for the feelings to come. We have to get started on our project. Ideally, every Christian doesn't just want to show the words and the actions. What we want is we want it to come from within. We, we want to really want to feel love. We really want to feel joy. We really want to feel peace. So that it just kind of flows out of what's going on inside. And to have these words and actions flow out of those genuine feelings on the inside. So we've got these two aspects. You've got the outward aspect and you've got the inward aspect. Which of those two do you think we control? Which of those two do you think we control? That we would be responsible for? Well, I basically, we control the outward aspects of these things. We're always responsible for our words. We're always responsible for, our, for what, we, what we say. We're always responsible for what we do. Always. We can never get around it. God holds us responsible. That's the outward aspect. But there is also an inward aspect here, and that's a little different. I'm going to talk about the outward aspect in just a minute. What is our responsibility in receiving the fruit of the Spirit? First of all, it's to want them, to desire them. To commit ourselves to them, to commit ourselves to the words and the actions that go along with them, regardless of our feelings, whatever they might be. Sometimes you have to go against your feelings. You have to say, set that aside and say, okay, this is not what I feel like doing, but I'm going to do it because this is what God wants. Maybe I can get to that feeling part later on. For right now, I'm just going to have to set those feelings aside. It's to want them, to desire them, to commit ourselves to them, to the words and the actions that go along with them. It's to cooperate with the Spirit. That's our responsibility. It's to cooperate with the Spirit who wants to develop these fruits in us. It's to pray for the Spirit to develop those fruits. To want them to where we'd actually ask. I say, God, you told me about these fruit. I'd really like to have that stuff. I want you to start building that in me. I want you to put that. I want the Holy Spirit to start to have that effect in me to pray for it. And I think this pretty much sums up what our responsibility is. We commit ourselves. We commit ourselves to the outward aspects of the fruit and to uh, cooperating with the spirit in forming those fruits within us. We promise to cooperate. But there is something here in these fruits that we cannot do for ourselves. And that's where the spirit comes in. We can control our words and actions, but the feelings are not so easy. We cannot make ourselves just feel love. You ever try to do that? Make yourself feel joy or feel peace or feel meekness or self-control? You ever try to make yourself just generate a feeling that's not there already? That's hard. You, You never have much success at that, do you? It doesn't work that way. Feelings are what they are. They kind of come, they kind of go. And so we cannot make ourselves feel love or joy or peace or patience or gentleness. But here, who, there is someone who can make us feel those things. And that is the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit can change our feelings. He can change our nature to where those things become our second nature. They're just as automatic to us as anything as brushing our teeth or breathing or walking down the street. They become our second nature through the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can change our feelings. And where there was no love or very little love, the Holy Spirit can give us love in abundance. And where there was no joy, the Holy Spirit can give us joy. And where there was no peace or very little peace, the Holy Spirit can give us peace. And the end result is this. We're not just doing and saying the right things, but it's coming from within. It's flowing out of a genuine feeling within us of love or joy or peace. Now, this is not an instantaneous event that happens in the Christian's life. It's a process that takes time. The Bible uses the word sanctification to describe this process. We'll talk about that some other time. But this is not an instantaneous event. It's a process that takes time. And that's why Paul has to keep reminding these Christians that at Ephesus and Colossae and Thessalonica and other places, you can turn, you can find these places all through the, his letters and all through Peter's letters. He just keeps telling them, hey, don't forget this and don't forget that and be this and be that. He just has to keep, keep reminding them because it's not something that just happens one time and then you forget about it. It's a process that you work at the rest of your life. So that's why Paul has to keep reminding Christians, stay on the path, stay with it, because we don't always see instantaneous results, and sometimes we just want to give up. We want to do something else. And just to tie this in with uh, things that we've already covered in in this uh, series we've been doing on the Holy Spirit. A few weeks back, I remember talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Don't be drunk with wine, we're in a success, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and so on and so forth. But there's a command there. Be filled with the Spirit. And what are the characteristics of someone who has been filled with the Spirit? Well, you could, we could say joy. We could say love. We could say peace. We could say long-suffering. All, all of those characteristics right there are things that would be in, a, in the life of a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be filled in this way. And to tie it in with something that Jesus said in John chapter 10, Jesus was talking to his disciples about, uh, about the sheep and the shepherd and about what a good shepherd was and how he took care of his, his sheep and all that. And he, come, and he comes to this guy he calls the thief. And he says, you've got to watch out for the thief. He says in John 10 and 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. He's talking about the sheep. And what he talks about this abundant life. And what you find out, Jesus says, I didn't come just to, give, just to get you guys to heaven. I didn't come to just give you a better, uh, a, a great eternity. I come to change your life. I come to give you the abundant life. And all of those things that are in the fruit of the Spirit are, are like the building stones, the foundation stones of the life that Jesus is describing here. And these stones are put in place not in a day, not in a week, not in a month, not in a year. It may take decades and a lifetime to lay these stones down and to begin to build on them the kind of life that God wants us to have. So it's not an instantaneous event. It's a process that takes time. So now I want to go back to that guy I was talking about at the beginning. This guy has been a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and nothing much has been happening with him. Why 
why is it that we have people? Why are there Christians who show no fruit or very little fruit, no growth over time? What, what is that? Now, I, I'm going to describe this as if this is somebody else, and like I'm not really talking to you. But while I talk about these things, I'm going to mention five things. You just need to think about this with, with regard to yourself, okay? I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to say it's you. I'm going to talk about somebody, somebody else. But you can think about it, okay? So let's go back. Let's talk about this guy who's been a Christian, quotation marks, for 10, 15, 20 years, and nothing's happening in his life. No, no development of the fruit. He's the same ornery, cantankerous guy he was before he was baptized. We could go back, first of all, we could go back to their conversion. Was it real? I can understand why someone who, doesn't, who has never been converted, I mean, he said the words and he got wet. But was there repentance and faith? I mean, if, if there's not real faith and real repentance in the heart of the person, you're just saying words and getting wet. Nothing's happening. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not saved. You mean you can sit in church for 50 years. I don't care. But until there's faith and repentance in you, those things meant nothing. And by looking at your life, some people might conclude, yeah, nothing happened. Because I don't see any of that fruit. I don't see anything happening there. So this could go back to conversion. Some people have very poor reasons for ever becoming a Christian. But let's, let's give the benefit of the doubt here. Let's say, okay, it was real. It was sufficient. What, what he did when he became a Christian. Here's the second thing we could, we could ask here. Could it be that he's just one of these people that's totally passive about the fruit? He's just kind of sitting back waiting for the Spirit to do what he's supposed to be doing. I mean, there it is. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's not my fruit. If he wants to make fruit of me, just let her come. I'm ready for it. He hasn't done anything yet. I'm not worried about it. It's his job. It's his responsibility. What I've tried to show you is that this is a cooperative effort. We can't be just observers watching from the sidelines, waiting for something to happen. We are on the field. We're in the game. We're playing on a team. We're part of a team. And the team has got, it's us and the Holy Spirit. We're trying to move this ball down the field. Let's look at number three. Does this Christian really want these fruits? Honestly, that, that's the problem for some people. Some Christians are not interested in having these fruits. That's not the image they want to portray. That's not the reputation that they want. Uh, they're more interested in being the Marlboro Man, okay? And that boy, that really dates me, doesn't it? <laughs> you, you, most of you have never seen the Marlboro Man, okay? They want to be Clint Eastwood. Oh, well, that dates me too. Uh, <laughs> who, can I, who can I get to? Uh, Jason Bourne, <laughs> from the Bourne Legacy, <laughs> that guy, all right. Some Christians are not interested in having this kind of reputation. They want to project a different kind of image. And so some, people, some men think of these fruits as, you know, this is stuff for women and children. It's not for me. I don't want to go around being loving and peaceful and kind and gentle and humble. That's not me. That's not the image I want to portray. And we could say the same thing from the standpoint of some women. They're more interested in blending in with the world than in being conformed to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and also Romans chapter 12, 
Bible tells us what our, uh, what our goal is. This is uh, the destiny. The predetermined destiny of every child of God is this, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he, that is God, foreknew, he also predestined. What did he predestine? That they'd be saved? No, that's not what he's talking about. He predestined that they would be conformed to the image of his son. That's the destiny that God has for every human being. That we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And if you're not interested in letting Christ dwell in you, if you're not interested in having Christ be a part of you and be projected in you, what's left? There isn't anything left. Romans 12 and 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible tells us what our image is, what it is that we should be aiming for and trying to project in this world. It is the image of Christ. Number four, maybe this guy was not willing to commit to the words and the actions that are involved in these fruits. I mean, he knew what they were, knew how they happened, but uh, just didn't want to, you know, I'm going to let my feelings kind of rule me. And sometimes it's hard to set aside feelings, to go against our feelings. And some, but sometimes we have to. But the words and the actions of these fruits are sometimes the opposite of what we feel like doing. And you have to be willing to go against your own gut feelings sometimes to properly act out and speak out those fruits. But you have to commit to that if you're going to be a child of God. Number five. We have to be willing to pray for those fruits, to pray for the feelings of love to be inside of us, of joy, of peace, all of those things. There are some things we cannot do for ourselves, like making myself feel love or making myself feel joy. But God can give those things to us. He can change us. He can give us a new heart. Now, any one of these five that I've talked about here might explain how a person can be a Christian for 10, 15, 20 25 years and still not have much of this fruit or any of this fruit in their life. And so I'm just going to leave that with you. You need to think about how this reflects upon you. And I want to say this, not next week, but the next time we come back to this. I want to talk about putting to death the works of the flesh by the Spirit. That's how the Bible says you get rid of of the works of the flesh. You put them to death by the Spirit. It's going to be based off Romans 8, 12 through 14, and Galatians 5, right here in this same passage we're looking at. I want to spend some time talking about that, and I want to talk about the works of the flesh. There's some interesting things that show up in there that we need to take note of. Maybe uh, this morning there's someone that's been convicted by the Holy Spirit. You know that you need to make some kind of response. Your response is either to come forward and say, hey, I need to start over I, I, I've been a Christian, but I, I just need to start over. I need to repent. I need to, get this, I need to get this thing going in the right direction. I need to get on the team and get in the game. And there might be someone here who is not a Christian, never made any kind of pretense, and you're saying, this is what I want. I want that. I want to be that person. I want the forgiveness of sins. I want the Holy Spirit in my life. I want the abundant life. I want eternal life. 
And then when we sing this hymn of invitation, we're inviting you to come to confess your faith in him, to repent of your sin, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It'll be the greatest day of your short life here on earth. Let's stand.